thinking about building resilience into the organization. It doesn't matter who the hack comes from. What matters is that you're prepared for it and that you are ready to react very quickly and to lock down any damage. Welcome to a special edition of the Rain Insights Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Cybersecurity is a critical risk for organizations, but too often leadership may treat cybersecurity as a box to be checked rather than an ongoing situation that needs to be constantly monitored. Gathering and assessing the right information and using it for better situational awareness in an increasingly complex cyber environment should be mission critical. That's why RAIN and NASDAQ Governance Solutions are co-hosting a virtual cyber summit for business leaders on December 8th. We'll have details on where to register during the podcast. In today's conversation, host and RAIN founder David Lawrence previews the cyber summit with Denny Watson, the executive director of RAIN's Risk Desk, and Carmen Medina, the owner of Media Analytics, Inc., with a conversation about what leaders should be focusing on and who they should be inviting to advise their companies on cybersecurity best practices. So first of all, I want to thank uh, both of you, Carmen and Denny, for agreeing to do this podcast as part of the series about cyber survival for boards of directors. And uh, I'll, just by way of introduction uh, for the audience, uh, two of the smartest people ever to emerge from the intelligence community amongst a group of very, very smart people. So it truly is a very, very uh, distinct privilege and honor to be able to um, have a conversation with you around a very important topic. And what I'd like to do is just sort of raise with you uh, at a time where it's it's rather interesting. Uh, cyber events uh, often seize the headlines, and yet were never a topic in the presidential debate either uh, for 2020 election, 2016. I could actually go back to um, you know back to 2012 as well. Really, did not get much attention uh, amidst all the noise and the headlines. What really are the messages here that are being sent, and what should boards of directors of uh, various uh, public companies and companies thinking about listening, where should their focus be? What should they be understanding about the current threat environment? And then, Carmen, I know you've been thinking about these things for a long time. would love to get begin to get your perspective. Well, thanks, David and Denny. Um, one thing I would say to board of directors who uh, think that they've navigated the cyber uh, threat successfully so far is that you don't really know whether or not you have. It ain't over till it's over. So for example, there have been lots of penetrations and presumably the harvesting of just gazillions of gigabytes of messages many of them probably encrypted. And it wouldn't surprise me if particularly our major geopolitical uh, opponents, such as China or Russia, if they haven't harvested these encrypted messages and are just waiting for the technology to come along, quantum computing, quantum uh, code breaking capabilities, that will allow them to uh, break these messages eventually, and then they'll be able to get the information that's in there. So that's sort of a nefarious uh, a way of thinking about this threat, that it's 
you know, you, you think that they penetrated you, but they didn't get anything. You don't really know that for sure. So I'll, 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 I'll start there. Yeah, and there is a, a sense uh, from all of the reporting about vulnerabilities and hacks and breaches and what have you. It, it's a little bit, it feels a little bit like a chicken little environment where um, folks are running around screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. The challenge seems overwhelming. The challenge seems uh, like every day they're discovering a new vulnerability. They're discovering a new threat vector or, or what have you. Um, and, and it may feel like, well, and how many times have we all heard senior cybersecurity professionals say, it's not a matter of if you get hacked, it's when. That sets you up for sort of a self-defeating uh, approach to, to locking your organization down and your data down. So some years ago, I was at the RSA conference, and um, I listened to a presentation done by a couple of analysts from Endgame. And they talked about the, uh, what, what they had found in their research uh, was that there were only about 10 unique codes of malware that were out there. The zero days come in when they, they are trapped differently, where they get in differently. But the code itself, malware does only a few specific things. And there's only about 10 strings of malware code out there with different trappings. And those 10 code, uh, strings of code they tend to only hit about four places on the IT architecture. So if you recalibrate and you say, okay, there are 10 uh, uh, strings of code that are hitting four places, it's a much more manageable conversation than there are thousands of vulnerabilities and every day we find a new vulnerability and, and, and that whole chicken little approach. So for organizations uh, looking at that, particularly with the nation state actors, they're still using the same lines of malware code. They just have more resources to, to attack your system. So the first thing to think about is what is it that they're after? On a geopolitical level, are they trying to affect political change? Are there political goals? Are they trying to affect economic change? Are they after financial gain? Um, and then keeping in mind that there's still a very active criminal sector out there and, and there is a very gray area around the criminal sector between state and non-state actors. It's like, what are they after? And thinking about um, building resilience into the organization doesn't matter who the hack comes from. What matters is that you're prepared for it and that, that you are, are ready to react very quickly and to lock down any damage. What I'd like to, and it's a theme we'll be exploring a lot throughout the NASDAQ conference, uh, I'd like to maybe throw out to both of you that um, just as McLuhan saw that the advent of television and uh, through television, the advent of a seven o'clock broadcast of national news for half an hour was actually going to change the dinnertime routines of the American family. Um, the advent of digital products, the advantages of greater connectivity, of greater efficiency and the digitization of our information and our, how we communicate, how we store our information, etc. cetera. Uh, we didn't quite get McLuhan's message uh, about understanding the new mediums and what they might usher in and what they portended. And uh, I've tried to think about this a little bit simply, and again, a theme we'll 
explore a lot over and over again, but that the crimes that are being committed here actually go back to the days of the Bible. Theft, fraud, espionage, sabotage, disinformation, blackmail, extortion, I'll call it uh, hacktivism is, you know, we'll call it uh, mischievousness. Um, but that we've created these portals without actually understanding the mediums that we've created and without actually thinking through first, second, third, and on ongoing orders of consequences about how this could be used. These, these, these wonderful devices, these wonderful portals, the wonderful sort of technology platforms, how they could be used by people who actually seek to commit criminal acts, seek to commit acts of, we'll call it, acts of state warfare, and uh, to basically disrupt, misinform, cause chaos, and obviously there's a uh, profit motive behind it, a lot of the activity. And that this is the new environment and we'll be continuing to live with this for the foreseeable future. And as Carmen, you're talking about it, uh, uh, think about even things that don't have immediate utility are being sucked away for possible future use. Is that a, a sort of a fair way to understand the current threat landscape? Well, I'll, I'll jump in here and say yes, that I agree with that. But I will say we shouldn't be fatalistic or morbid about it because every new technology changes the competitive landscape for countries and for businesses. So, for example, the um, Industrial Revolution eroded the value of quality, right? So you might produce the absolute best product, but if you couldn't produce it at scale during the Industrial Revolution, it, it didn't really matter. You were non-competitive. And I would say that today, the business strategy that is not valid any longer is one based on secrecy. So if your business strategy depends upon doing things under the radar that nobody will find out about you in this era, you have failed to adjust your business strategy to the reality of the new world. This is particularly true for governments, or at least we've seen how obviously true this is for governments in recent years. But it's probably true for businesses as well. And it's it's just an unfortunate fact of life now that we have a peer competitor, China, unlike the Soviet Union, that is also a dynamic economic and business competitor as well. And so therefore, uh, we have to assume that the Chinese are trying to discover any business secrets that anybody might have and also assume uh, that they might be able to get away with more than we would want them to get away with. Tell me what that actually means in terms of day-to-day -day operations, not just for companies, but for government agencies. Government agencies that have had the files of their personnel hacked. Um, not to chase headlines, but it appears that possibly um, the employee files of leading financial institutions may have also been accessed. Uh, we know of um, military and defense contractors whose plans were 
also taken. So tell us you know, a little bit of what that actually means, that no one can currently assume that they're doing any, anything, I don't want to say in secret, but there is no longer confidentiality around whether you're in the public sector or private sector. Because that is a McLuhan-esque message. Well, I confess, David, I don't, I don't completely understand what it means. Uh, I think for government, what it means is that doing something somewhat unethical or controversial, assuming that nobody will find out is like, should be completely off the table for government. And I think it should be off the table for businesses as well. So uh, Wells Fargo, for example, and other companies, but Wells Fargo just jumps to mind uh, because they were doing something that was eventually exposed and was seen as uh, unfavorably by, uh, by other people. And I think that you have to have it's almost like you have to have an external ombudsman ethicist that you run certain ideas through and ask this person or a panel of people, what do you think of this idea? How, if it, you know, it, would this resonate well with the general public if it became known this was our operating assumption? Or is this something that is uh, going to uh, backfire in a way that we're not aware of. So I think what it what it means is that uh, you have to think a lot harder about things that you're doing that are questionable judgment calls in terms of ethics. And you have to have a lot more diversity in the people that you consult about what you're going to do next in your business plan, because when you have tunnel vision, you're really in danger of something blowing up. And in terms of your personnel, and I think we've seen this over and over again, individuals who have skeletons in their closets eventually suffer the consequences of, of those bad choices when they become revealed to the general public. You know, maybe in another 10, 15 years, we'll be over this wave and then you won't have the scandal factor be such a determinant here, but that's where we are now. I couldn't help but think of an inversion of Andy Warhol's famous quote about, you know, uh, in the future everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. And Carmen, what I'm hearing you say is in the future um, everyone will have anonymity or confidentiality for 15 minutes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. And, an interesting clip, yeah. And Denny, um, in, you, you referenced um, RSA conference and uh, Endgame, which is a um, terrific company that was started by people out of the intelligence community who came up with what I thought was a very important thesis uh, for not just boards of public companies and private companies, but, but also anyone who is managing um, a large enterprise, whether it's in the public or private sector. And their thesis was that uh, what was going to matter in the future was not so much about keeping bad actors out, but being able to detect them quickly and mitigate or manage risk. And yeah, there, there have been uh, a variety of, I'll call it, at this point they're almost uh, tropes, 
where we've had leaders from the law enforcement community who said there are only, I think, three kinds of companies left in the world, uh, uh, those who have been breached, those that are about to be breached, and those that already have been breached but don't even know it yet. And so when you think about this type of issue, as I know you have throughout your career, as um, something that needs to be identified, but how do you manage, how do you respond? Um, I'd love to get your thoughts about approaches to managing things that without you know throwing your hands up in, in despair and, and without getting lost in the headlines, but recognizing that the issues around um, protecting data, information, companies, people, etc., uh, is not going to be you know one of zero tolerance, but one in which uh, one, you have to recognize when there is a problem quickly and be able to respond and contain. Right. So uh, going back to a question that, that your earlier question around cyber criminals or nation state actors actually stealing things like the plans for the F-16 or, 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 or things like that. The, the nation state actors, and, and to your point, David, about the criminal elements still being the same from biblical times, those nation state actors are still after the same objectives that they were after in the 1980s, the 1970s, the 1950s. Those objectives, those state objectives haven't changed. What's changed is with the, the, the growth of uh, um, IT and the growth of the internet and the growth of, of telecommunications is the attack surface. So the, fir- the, the first and foremost, understanding what your adversaries, whether it's a nation state, if it's a competitor, if it's a criminal, what your adversaries are after, and making your, your systems and, your, and your, your, your organization as resilient as possible, thinking about the entire attack surface. And, and one of these things, and I think Carmen and I have had this conversation in the past, is your attack surface is the human element, right? So yes, it, there, the, you've got your technology and the malware comes in and it, it, it hits in the technology, but more often than not, the way that the malware gets in is with the human beings. So making sure that your human beings also understand that they are a living, breathing part of that attack surface and, and hardening the humans as well as the IT infrastructure. And then, uh, uh, and then being prepared uh, um, with the response. Going back to Carmen's example of Wells Fargo and before that Experian, um, how they responded actually was almost as damaging uh, as the, the actual hack and making sure that you've thought through all elements of your response, not just locking down the data or, in the case of ransomware, getting the data unlocked, but also whether it's the reputational issues, it's your legal responsibilities for breach notifications, whatever that looks like for your sector and for your geography, to make sure that your response is appropriate to the hack. If I can just jump in there and uh, agree with something and amplify perhaps something Denny said, um, in the same way that the attack surface is the human, the consequence arena is the human. You know, how what happened to your company reverberates 
with other humans and the emotions and concerns that it raises. And I think too often when there's a cyber attack, it's sort of handed over to this CIO or the CTO and he or she may not really be the person to think about the emotional consequences of what's happened in terms of your trust profile and the confidence that people have in your company. We'll return to the conversation in just a moment. Rain is a risk intelligence company that provides access to critical insights, analysis, and support to ensure business continuity and resiliency for our members. Learn more about our special summit on cybersecurity for boards and register to get actionable insights on what you can do to ensure cyber resiliency for your business. Go to rainnetwork.com slash events dash podcasts to sign up today. That's rainnetwork.com slash events dash podcasts. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Both of you, Carmen and Denny, let me pose a hypothetical here. I am part of a NASDAQ-listed company. I'm the CEO. I recognize that this is a threat. Uh, We're doing business in multiple jurisdictions. We have supply chains that wrap around the world. Um, I have hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of employees or online, uh, people working remotely. I have a customer base that also is around the world. And uh, I've been so impressed by both of you on this podcast that I've now asked you to join my board and to help me think through uh, what we need to do as a company. And uh, I also, am in my conversations with you, um, I'm very much of the mindset that this is not a technology issue alone. Technology is the portal, but um, understanding where I'm vulnerable, understanding the response, understanding training, understanding what I have at risk. And I very much want to avoid the headlines. I I don't want to lose the trust of my clients. I don't want to see anything happen to my shareholder price. Maybe you can... um, now that you've both been uh, appointed to the board, begin to think about, as a board member, the questions that you, you want to ask of me and the other members of the management team and the types of things that you think will be important for us to uh, implement. And by the way, the nature of my business, just to add one more layer to the hypothetical, is that some of the technology we are working on would be of great interest to nation states that are competitive around the world with uh, my company or have state-owned enterprises. And also, I have no idea, Denny and Carmen, about what my employees have been writing in emails or text messages and what's sitting on my server that could be embarrassing. By the way, I forgot to tell you that Your interests are now fully aligned with me because there is no cash compensation. Your compensation will be in stock that vests over the next 10 years. So we got to get this one right, guys. (laughs) Well, with that said, uh, so I think one of the, the, the first questions that I would ask upon joining the board was when the last time you had done an independent 
audit of your IT and cybersecurity infrastructure. So the CIO has a job to do. It's to, to put the, the plug the pieces together and, and to make the equipment work for the business. The CISO has a job in terms of protecting it. But who's thinking about the business? And, and they both have uh, vested interests uh, when they present to the board or when they're reporting up through the, the management chain. And when was the last time we had an independent look at what the IT infrastructure and what the cyber cybersecurity architecture looks like? When was the last time we did an independent audit of threats to the sector? Whatever the sector it is, we're in the tech sector in this example, in this hypothetical so uh, when was the last time that we did a, a serious audit of what uh, other entities in the sector um, have faced and how they recovered from that? So one of the, the key things is to get that independent look um, so you're not breathing your own fumes, you're not just swimming in your own water, to get that independent look, and then to really change the conversation from one that is around specifically IT or cybersecurity and at the board level, what is the cyber threat? We need to look at cyber risk and cyber threat, which is a forward-looking conversation instead of that backward-looking conversation about this is how we plug the pieces together, this is how many um, pieces of malware we, we intercepted um, in the last th- quarter, and, and instead change the conversation to something that is much more forward-looking and external. Well, since Danny took on the technical challenge, I would ask the board questions about the humans in the organization. And I would ask them whether or not uh, they believe that every single human in the organization is vested in protecting the organization's assets as if they were their own. And when you back up on that topic, then you run into all sorts of issues concerning, you know, how how hierarchical the organization is, uh, the way that they hire, the kinds of people that they look for. Uh, It's no secret that many organizations have historically rewarded people that were excellent performers, but had very poor emotional intelligence, for example. And uh, I would... uh, the kind of, you know, I don't know if this exists, someone ought to build one, a kind of uh, an employee audit around cybersecurity issues. I mean, we have the Gallup uh, workplace culture surveys that many organizations use, but I wonder if there is on the market something that allows you to get a sense of the cyber, I don't even know what the word to use is, but the 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 motivations of your workforce to do the right thing in terms of cyber, but also do it in a way that they don't find it insulting, right? A lot of the remedial stuff that companies do to fix the attitudes of employees on uh, IT security can create more harm than good because there's there, you know, people roll their eyes, they're seen as remedial, and they don't really improve people's attitudes and the seriousness with which they take cyber issues. That's a great point, Carmen. What we saw in some surveys was that online cybersecurity training was uh, less likely to be effective because folks assumed they already knew the answers and they found ways to 
manipulate the training um, so that they didn't actually get anything out of it. It doesn't surprise me. I think this is a real growth area for human capital talent consultants is a, a really bright and intelligent approach toward this issue. I assume it's not just to understand the approach and, and attitude, and I love the notion of do they feel ownership of the company in which they work, which is a broader cultural issue. But I assume you would also want to leverage ideas that people might have about protecting the assets and sort of what they perhaps are worried about um, as part of the company's operations that could be compromised, stolen, otherwise what I'll refer to as uh, leveraged. And so I assume that would be part of what you, you would also seek from the personnel. Indeed, yeah. Let me, because both of you had truly extraordinary careers in, in public service, um, helping to protect uh, national security and very focused on global risk. Um, as we think about the evolution and the digitization uh, of the world, um, how do boards continue to stay educated about this issue, or since you're both on my board, tell me how you're going to keep the management and keep the corporation writ large uh, up to date about how to think about these issues, the threats, and what we can do about it. So I love the notion of assessing, you know, when was the last time we had independent validation and, and sort of testing of, the, of our company, and I love you know, taking a, I'll call it a humanist approach to this issue. And so tell me how we're going to build off of that and how we're going to, as a company, stay on top of this issue and make sure we're not going to be the next satellite. I have a couple of thoughts here. I am not a gamer. I've tried to become a gamer and have had no success with it. It's just I don't know, I don't have the patience for it or something. But really, if you don't have board members who aren't gamers and understand gaming, because it kind of captures a lot of what happens in technology, uh, you've got a blind spot. So I would actually encourage, I would devote a board meeting to trying to learn whatever the popular game is now. I won't mention one because it'll just show how how uncool I am about that. Similarly, I would encourage board members to read some of the science fiction. Uh, and actually it's near term science fiction that talks about uh, sort of technology dystopias or other topics such as that. And films and, and series that on that topic, I, I really think that the board has to be taken on an experiential journey where at a even if they don't understand what this new technology world is at least get them to the point that they understand that they don't understand fully what this world is that is evolving i couldn't agree more with carmen the other thing is make sure that there's some youth on your board whether they're formal members or sitting members or what have have you um, get a digital native on your board, and and um, that will 
by virtue of the fact that they've grown up in a different environment, that will change the conversation. It's also, uh, for most boards, board members, um, they're selected because they're, they're former CEOs or CFOs or, 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 or things like that. There are very few board members out there who actually have experience sitting in the role of the CISO, uh, of, a, of a chief information security officer. And so while um, board members that have been CEOs or CFOs know how to execute plans um, in those areas of competence, if you don't have somebody on the board that has CISO experience, you don't have somebody that knows how to reach into the organization and execute plans along those lines. Um, the other point that I would make is um, for moving forward and making sure that the organization is forward-looking and not just counting however many um, attempts, attempted hacks they've stopped, is to pay attention to what the government is doing. So uh, there was an important executive order that was issued earlier this year by the Biden administration that sets up certain roles and requirements for uh, cybersecurity uh, there's federal legislation, uh, several versions of federalization around data governance, data privacy, uh, cyber breach notification. Individual states are also passing very important foundational legislation and regulation around uh, data governance, data breach require notification requirements, data privacy issues. Uh, you know, we've got um, a couple of of very experienced leaders at the federal now, federal level now, with Jen Easterly and Chris Inglis in particular, and what we're hearing from cybersecurity professionals is um, that uh, pay attention to what they're saying because the government does seem to be um, making some important steps uh, in the right direction. I mean, David, you and I have been to I don't know how many events where we talk about the, the crucial importance of public-private sector cooperation, specifically around cybersecurity. And we talk about it, and it's more challenging than ever to actually move it from a conversation and a great idea and an important idea to something that's actually getting traction. And right now, from what I'm hearing from other cybersecurity professionals, is that there's actually hope that we'll get somewhere um, in the next couple of years with that public-private sector traction. It also sounds as though, Carmen, a certain amount of you know, the quote attributed to Socrates uh, when he declared himself to be the wisest of all people because he knew how much he didn't know. Uh, this sounds like a field for Socratic humility. Um, and constant uh, thinking. Absolutely. Denny, I know you've been connecting with, working with, listening to uh, some extraordinary people who have, many of whom have come out of the government, but you know some who have not, uh, who have now thrown themselves into this space to try to provide what firms need from an educational standpoint, from a technology standpoint in terms of detection and prevention and mitigation and um, which are you know some of these companies are now public companies and are in fact are listed on the NASDAQ ironically um, how important is it for board members to get involved to understand you know who is out there that really is being smart innovating you know, providing, you know, necessary 
outside support, the ability to test and validate, the ability to help a company think through what assets need to be particularly protected, maybe what assets need to be moved offline or, or housed separately from a company's system, what should be encrypted, et cetera. Maybe you can talk a little bit about you know, the board member's role or on my hypothetical board, the role you will take up in helping to sort of find the right partners. I don't like to use the word vendors, but the right partners to work with. Um, I would say that it isn't one partner, that you need a variety of partners. First and foremost, I think finding an external partner to help think through what, in fact, are your crown jewels. So for the organization, you know, different organizations have different uh, things that, that are their crown jewels. So is it is it Coca-Cola's secret formula? Is it um, intellectual property of, of some sort? Is it your customer data? Is it your 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 modus operandi? Is it is it the, your your pattern of operations? Having that thinking exercise about what it is that is absolutely crucial to protect first and foremost um, is is the first step. That's not the same as getting a, a cybersecurity vendor to help you lock it down. So you have a different, you've got different sets of partners in there. So the first thing is to identify that which must be protected, and then you you can cascade down from that in terms of okay, if this has to be protected, I need to understand where that information, where that data is inside of my organization, and and not just who bureaucratically controls it, but geographically. Where is it stored? How is it stored? Um, along the, those lines. And then you can start putting together um, the correct solutions to protect that information, where it sits, how it's being used in different ways. But I don't, I, I don't think it's a single vendor. I don't, despite the fact that many cybersecurity vendors say, we're one-stop shopping, there's a big piece of the thinking part of this and particularly when humans start, when you want to make take a humanistic approach, there's a big piece of the thinking process of this that has to be gone through before you can get down into any kind of technical solutions with specific vendors. So there is no single source of all knowledge in this space. Part of the role of um, a active board member is to assist the management and sort of ask the right questions to make sure that a company is taking in both the information and leveraging the expertise of a variety of um, potential sources in this space. And um, I know very often companies will say, well, we use and fill in the blank, uh, we've hired X, Y, and Z, and it's almost a check-the-box response. But what I'm hearing from you, Denny, with you know, with all the experience and work, is that no one firm actually has all the answers. And there's actually a need to not only have um, a multiplicity of resources to call upon, you don't have to necessarily have to gauge with all of them at a single time, but at least to have the, it's now an antiquated term, but a Rolodex, and to continue to expand that Rolodex as the environment changes. Absolutely. And having just one firm, you also can introduce some conflicts of interest. So 
EY and and Booz Allen and uh, um, and some of the, the the big consulting companies that that also do um, accounting audits also offer cybersecurity services. So some organizations might assume that there is an efficiency play and a cost savings play to get the same company to come and do your cybersecurity audit or your you know help you think through the the what matters most question. But that actually sets up a conflict of interest because they're very likely to go down the same path that your existing management team is going down and you're not getting that diversity of thought. And Carmen made a brilliant point about this earlier when she was talking about, you know, read the science fiction, watch the movies. You have to have that diversity of thought or you're absolutely going to miss things. I mean, the heuristics are what they are. And and we get framed on an idea, we get framed on a solution. And unless you have some diversity of thought, either forced or, or organic, and um, you're not going to get to the best solutions. You're not going to get to the most holistic solutions. And I'll, I'll just clarify the record a little bit. It can pose a potential conflict of interest, but the basic point that you're making, which is an excellent one, is the need to think outside the box and to go you know, sort of beyond the familiar corridors to be able to think through this. And Carmen, I, uh, when you were talking about having a gamer on the board, the thought that popped into my head is that there are a lot of people who have been through the trench warfare around this issue, whose enterprises have been attacked, who have had to sort of live with the consequences and tried to manage and mitigate, and who have acquired, have acquired a lot of wisdom, I'll argue, scar tissue along the way. And while in, in some parts of the world those people may may look like they may have failed or that they made mistakes. Um, I would argue, and this is from my own experience, from quoting back as a U.S. at the U.S. Attorney's Office, no less Goldman Sachs, and subsequently, that some of the smartest people in this space have actually been victimized themselves. And they've acquired a great deal of wisdom and lessons from that in terms of... Uh, thinking through the issues and understanding what should be thought about before the event and if there is an event and then obviously the, you know, sort of recovering from something. And so when you were talking about uh, gamers, I, I sort of, that's where my mind took me. And maybe since you've been through, not just in this space, but because of your career service and beyond, uh, you've had tremendous successes, but you've also witnessed you know, situations that where the outcomes were not optimal or not as planned. And maybe the value of having people, if not on the board, but people who whom the board and management can reach and talk to, who have been through, uh, ha- they've had their successes, but they've also had their failures. And is that important in this space? I sure do think so. You know, I, one of my favorite questions to ask uh, when I'm interviewing is, you know, tell me about the failure that you're most proud of in your career. And it, you know, most people, of course, try to tell you about a failure that was really a success. And so that's a tell right there. You know, I'm looking for the person who can discuss a failure that they really learned from, and that's why they're proud of it. And I think that when you're looking for uh, members, for your board and board diversity, sort of having uh, board members that can talk 
that have experienced a broad, diverse range of failures is, is probably a good idea. And uh, if I can build on something you said also about, uh, you know, whether movies or uh, what have you, Denny and I have been working on some efforts. Uh, Hollywood has uh, been actually amazingly uh, accurate, and some great science fiction writers have been amazingly accurate. Not so much in predicting the future than giving, uh, as much as giving people a preview of what the future could be. And, um, you know, I still remember, you know, the movie Contagion from many years before the pandemic. Um, and I also know the warnings that the intelligence community, you know, repeatedly gave our political leaders about the pandemic not being a um, an if event, just when, and, but there are all sorts of actors and the psychology that has to be understood, history that has to be understood, geopolitics that has to be understood. But there, there, there are mediums out there where people can sort of think outside the box and be smarter, and that that's part of the board responsibility. Absolutely. So I'd like to just sort of conclude the podcast with one minute summary from each of you. And Denny, obviously... Uh, we'll go to you next, so I'm giving you a little bit of prep time on that question. Well, we all need to ask better questions. Uh, in the fall of 2019, people were thinking about the future. You know, a new decade was turning over, so people were thinking even harder than they normally would about the future. And almost no one asked the right question. All our questions about the future, almost all of them, tend to be linear projections of what we are worried about today. And so therefore, nobody really asked about the pandemic that was going to derail the world economy for a year, two, three, we don't really know now. Uh, so I think rather than the questions that you ask, any particular question, you have to examine your question asking process. Where do you get the questions from? And I, you know, I think, uh, you know, you should have a set of questions. That's the company gospel, the things that you're worried about. And then you need to shop those around with trusted outsiders and ask them to tell you what questions are you leaving out and then take those seriously. So we need a better question asking process in government and in business altogether. So that's my response. I couldn't agree more that it's asking the right questions and making sure that you're going to the best sources of information for those answers. So not restricting the answer process to the board itself or to the experts inside of the organization, but reaching out well beyond the organization, well beyond the, the, the usual suspects and getting some serious diversity of thought in, in the process of answering those, those questions. I'm, gonna, I'm pulling on the theme that, that Carmen already raised, is that the thing that keeps you up at night is almost never the thing that bites you in the butt. Uh, because if, if, if you're, say, uh, ransomware is keeping many people up right now, is that they're worried about a hack that, that will, uh, a ransomware attack on their systems. Well, so you're already devoting resources to it. You're devoting focus to it. You're already working that problem. 
ransomware is today's challenge. It's not necessarily the future challenge. There's something else coming beyond that, whether it's a different strain of malware or a different uh, uh, attack approach or there's something that is nonlinear that is going to replace ransomware as that thing that's keeping you up at night. So that's a piece of, uh, about, of, of asking the right questions and, and getting a diverse response in there that's going to help you to identify not those things that are keeping you up tonight, but those things that might be keeping you up in three months and six months in a year's time. And so there's a lot of smart people, two of whom consented to this podcast, that we'll be speaking with around the NASDAQ summit. And I think the one thing they will share with the audience is that they have been talking about this issue for a long period of time, but not enough has been done. And this is an issue uh, potentially systemic, potentially existential, potentially the new face of global warfare that uh, not enough people have taken seriously or thought about or thought out whether inside the box or outside the box. Thank you not only for an intelligent discussion about the issue, but some of the things that board members can do about it. So, Carmen, thank you again. Denny, thanks again. David Lawrence is Rain Founder and Chief Collaboration Officer. Denny Watson is the Executive Director of Rain's Risk Desk. And Carmen Medina is the owner of Media Analytics, Inc., providing bespoke analytics services on national security issues, diversity, global trends, and thinking ahead. Don't forget to sign up for our virtual cyber summit for business leaders on December 8th. Rain is hosting in collaboration with NASDAQ Government Solutions. Go to rainnetwork.com slash events dash podcasts and register today. That's R-A-N-E network.com slash events dash podcasts. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.